Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 393 of the Juicebox podcast. Today's episode is another in the After Dark series, which, by the way, turns one year old this month. First After Dark episode came out in October of 2019. It was about drinking with type 1 diabetes. It was followed by smoking weed, trauma and addiction, sex from a female perspective, depression and self-harm, sex from a male perspective, being a parent in a divorce situation and co-parenting. Then we talked about bipolar disorder. And in this episode, we're going to tackle bulimia and depression with a 19-year-old type 1 who was really kind and and open about coming on the show. We do take her name out, uh, so there's going to be little lapses in audio where a name was said just out of an abundance of caution for her privacy. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This episode of the Juice Box podcast is sponsored by the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Check it out at contournext.com forward slash juice box. We're also sponsored today by Touched by Type 1, touchedbytype1.org, or find them on Facebook or Instagram. Before we get started, I want to remind you that this episode of the podcast is a frank discussion about bulimia, which includes purging. There's also some talk about depression and other sensitive topics. My name is, I live in the area and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in January of 2018 and I am currently 19 years old. So type 1 in January of 2019, 2018, 2018, 2019, 2020, like two and a half years? Yeah, just about. Were you 17 yet or were you still 16 when you were diagnosed? I was 17 at the time, Uh, A senior in high school? I was a junior in high school. A junior. Gotcha. All right. Junior in high school, diagnosed in the area. Any other diabetes in your family, or was it a complete surprise? No, it was a complete surprise. Nobody at all. Nothing. How about any weird, like... uh, hypothyroidism, celiac, any of that stuff rolling around in the family? Yeah, none that I I know. You don't go around asking everybody? <laughs> no, it's not the popular topic during family dinner. Aunt Jane, I see you in the bathroom a lot after dinner. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> what could that be? <laughs> yeah, well, is that celiac by any chance? Um, okay, so okay, so pretty uh, pretty much an anomaly in your family. What are the first steps? You're, how are you diagnosed? I had a blood test for um for my other treatment which I guess we'll get into soon mm-hmm. and um and it showed that my glucose was elevated so we just did another one and they told me during finals week that I had to go into the hospital to get checked out so um so there I was diagnosed um and yeah, so it wasn't a it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big story. story or anything. You're like, no. I was getting a blood test for something else that I'm going to tell you about in a second, Scott, and they found that my glucose was elevated. 
<laughs> yeah, it just it was very convenient, you know. <laughs> um, my A1C wasn't very high. I think it was maybe eight point one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I, I didn't have to stay overnight. I just had to, you know, come back to the hospital for a few days just to get training, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> I understand. So if this was like a a bad cheesy eighties uh, morning radio show, there'd be like a snoring sound effect right now while you were telling your story. Just. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't exciting. I'm sorry. No thinking. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm happy you didn't make something up. <laughs> I was skiing, Scott. Mount Kilimanjaro. I didn't know if you knew you could actually ski up that high, but you can. And uh, yeah, no, no, nothing like that. So, okay. So, listen, no. that's great. You didn't go through a lot of the um, the medical issues that you could have gone into. You didn't end up in DKA. None of that happened, right? No, no. Right. Excellent. Okay. So, what were you going to get a blood test for? Okay. So... I was currently in treatment for my eating disorder. Um, I was diagnosed with bulimia about a few months prior. Um, so I was currently an outpatient and I had to be getting routine blood tests. And um, and it was my doctor there who discovered it. Okay. The so, diabetes. So bulimia. Now we're going to talk about something that I don't know anything about. And... I want to learn more about at what age do you think it began? And is that even the right way to talk about it? It began like, how do you see bulimia at first? Do you see it as, um, is it a disease? Is it a, is it a psychological disorder? Is it like, how do you talk about it in your life? Okay. So the bulimia, the actual diagnosis didn't actually happen until really a few months before my diabetes diagnosis, which Mm -hmm. I'll get into soon. But um, the whole eating disorder began when I was much younger, probably around 14. And, um, you know, it began as just a thought process and then became something more, Um, you know, first started off with, um, with restricting. And then later on, it escalated to a full-blown eating disorder and it ended up being bulimia. So um, the way I look at it is, yeah, I guess uh, disorder. No, no, it's so what happens when you're 14? Is there like suddenly a pressure for how you look or what what, what do you think starts it? So everyone has a different um, way to develop it. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of times there's a certain trauma um, and this is a coping mechanism. Um, and you know, everyone's trauma is different. So, um, so for me personally, it was just different life events that was happening at the time. And it felt just, you know, a classic way just to take control and, um, make myself feel better. So, um, you know, it felt that if I was thin, then all my problems would go away. Let me ask you a question there, a, a trauma. So and I'm not asking for your specifically, if you of course don't want to shared but could it be anything from like uh, like a parent getting divorced or an ass- like like an assault like up to like an assault yeah. like anything like that at all something that takes you out of control and then the bulimia is a way to find control is that the idea yeah that's a perfect way to put it it's it's any sort of event that no matter how objectively big or small that makes you feel that you're not in control and this is something that you could take control of gotcha Okay. Um, well, I guess does it, this is going to sound strange maybe, or maybe it won't, but does it work? Does it give you a feeling of control and does it alleviate the pain coming from the trauma? So at first, um, and 
first it does. And, but it quickly spirals, you know, because then soon the disorder takes over what you thought you had control and it becomes controlling of you. So, so it might be at first, there's this first sense of relief, but it doesn't last. How does it end up taking control of you? Um, it becomes, it, it takes over every aspect of your life, um, that. Take your time. It's okay. There's no pressure here. Yeah. I just want to find a good way to phrase it. Well, for me personally, since I was struggling with a eating disorder and a type 1 diabetes diagnosis. It was almost like a cruel joke how um, on one hand, I was in in the sort of recovery where I was told not to constantly think about what I ate and not to constantly be thinking about it because up until that point for years at that point, it was the one thing on my mind, you know, whenever, um, whenever an event happened, I would, my mind would immediately go to, oh, it's because you're not thin enough. Um, Whenever, you know, I feel like I need to control, it was, okay, you got to do this habit, you know? Um, But on the other hand, I was a newly diagnosed diabetic and I had to figure out how to, you know, at the time I was doing carb ratios and figuring out the best times to eat and like how to eat properly with insulin and having to eat when I didn't want to because of a low blood sugar or not being, or being told I couldn't eat because of a high blood sugar. So it was this um, really cruel duality of, you know, trying to recover from eating disorder and trying to become a good diabetic. Let's make sure I understand. So part of the recovery from the eating disorder is not scheduling and being really specific about your food intake and you're at yes. the, and so you're going through that process for a number of years and, and and so you were you feel like it started around 14 so that means you lived with it for a number of years before it was um recognized and then you started doing work on it let me ask you real quickly how was it recognized how did you end up in treatment for it so, okay, so eating disorders are very hidden, and um, and I was doing a good job of hiding it. And um, it was the summer when I was about 15 or 16, um, where I was a lifeguard. And this is where the fainting story is, so don't worry, there <laughs> is some excitement. Um, but <laughs> as I was guarding, um, I fainted. And um, the doctor of the camp, I guess, pulled me aside, took one look at me, and he told me, you're not eating enough. Mm. And that was the first time someone, um, you know, said something face on. And so obviously, I was caught off guard. And um, so, so, so he... So you fainted, mm-hmm. and an adult came up to you. And please, I don't know which microphone you're using, but talk right into it, because sometimes your face is moving away from the microphone. But don't you know, just be a little cognizant okay. of it. So, um, so you fainted while you were lifeguarding and an adult came up to you and said, you need to eat more. Do you feel like that that was based on your physical appearance that he said that he or she said that? Yeah, I believe so. I don't think I look per- particularly that emaciated. I never got to that point, but, um, he must've been in the field, you know, <laughs> um, and maybe saw some other signs. I don't know. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Well, well, let's 
maybe this is, by the way, so interesting because now I'm talking to somebody from my part of the country and you talk faster than I do. So <laughs> I'll try. So don't worry. I and just, also, um, it's by the way, I'm sorry. And, and so, uh, why do I have it as, oh, because of the thing. Never mind. Um, so, okay. So you're talking very quickly. I'm keeping up. I'm going to slow you down a little bit because other people might not be. Okay. Or, or your pot, your episode's only going to be 45 minutes long, by the way. Because <laughs> 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 won't be any of the actual like air pauses that everybody got. It's, it's, um, it's nice to talk to somebody from around here. So I can, uh, yeah. I can, we can like hammer through all this. But I want to make sure that we stop and dissect it enough so that it's making sense to people who don't understand. So if, I okay. think first things first, let's let's define bulimia for a second. So what's the what is it and how like how what is it moment to moment? If I have bulimia, what am I doing? So the clinical diagnosis would be um, purging. I think more. To, more than three times a week for three months at a time. I, I'm not sure exactly, but that's the clinical mm -hmm. diagnosis. But um, what that actually is day-to-day -day life is a horror story. It's every moment, um, food and body image is on your mind. And um, every time you eat, at least for me personally, it was, um, it was like a need to get rid of it. And, um, and a guilt, you know, the guilt for being alive because you have to eat to be alive. And, um, and every moment just feeling like a weight and having to get need a need to get rid of that weight. Okay. So you can, you can imagine in your mind that this food is going to go into you and make you fat and you have yes. to get it out. And on top of that, you feel badly for needing to eat to begin with. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I looked it up here. It says a serious eating disorder marked by binging followed by methods to avoid weight gain. Bulimia is potentially a life-threatening eating disorder. People with this condition binge eat. Then they take steps to avoid weight gain. Most commonly, this means vomiting or purging, but it can also mean excessive exercising or fasting treatments, including counseling, medications, and nutritional education. So were you just purging? Is that how you were handling it? Yeah. So I didn't, um, I didn't have a textbook binges. I definitely have overeating issues but um but that generally would be the cycle of eating to a point of like uncomfortableness and then needing to purge it but um also it was just it's food in general you know but definitely overeating is a huge part of it what's the onus for the overeating is it so that you don't feel well so that it feels like it should come out or is it because you know it's coming out so you could just eat whatever you want um more towards the second it's um because every time I would allow myself to eat something that quote unquote was a bad food, I would think this is the last time you could do this. So I would just eat as much as I can and then, yeah, get rid of it. It's that, that thing people know when, they, when they're thinking to start a diet, they have that same idea. Like, I'm going to start a diet on Monday. So this weekend, orgy mm -hmm. of food. Like that, that, so that's sort of an idea. Gotcha. Um, do you... During that, did you enjoy eating the food? Um, no, because it's it doesn't feel humane. You know, you're you're eating 
as a compulsion, not for enjoyment. Okay. And, and there's not even a feeling of like, oh, gummy bears. I love gummy bears. It's not even that. You don't get that out of anything either. Not at all, no. It's interesting because then there's then the connection between the overeating and the eating things that are quote-unquote bad for you is all psychological. It's nothing to do with the food at all, really. It's that idea. Exactly. Wow. Jeez. Um, okay. That's pretty <laughs> up. So let's see. Give me a second. I got to wrap my head. <laughs> this podcast has taken me in places I didn't expect, just so you all know. Um, and I guess because I cursed, this just became an After Dark episode. So congratulations. Woo, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. All right. So there's a compulsion to eat, the eating happens, the purging happens. Because I'm interested, how long do we let the food stay in before we send it back out again? 20 minutes is prime. (laughs) Um, And I guess it depends um, at which point in recovery I was because, um, you know, it would, my mindset would be um, just make it another 10 minutes, just make it another 10 minutes to not do it. Um, But yeah 20 is about as far as you can make it are there Mm -hmm. you know we always talk about support online for things thinking about it helping people but is there like how do you learn how to be bulimic do you can you go online and find out how to do something that's not good for you too i mean i guess you can right yeah um i didn't actually self-taught are you are you (laughs) Showing off yeah. a little here, yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit talented. Um, <laughs> it was, um, it was funny. After I really developed it, did I go into all the forums and just like kind of compare myself to see how you know how each of us uh, do it ourselves? But um, I mean, I knew from from media, you know, from all the movies you'd watch or all the books you read, like what it is and how to do it. But I didn't need to look up tips or a step-by-step manual, you know? <laughs> no, no, but but that exists. So what what I'm wondering is, is when where there are those places online, it's not self-loathing, self-loathing completely, right? Is there a little bit of like, like peacocking? Like I'm really good at this or is there any of that that goes on? For sure. There is um, pro-ana, like pro-anorexia. There's um, just pages and pages of, of, people who are hurting toxically supporting each other of, um, of how to be a good anorexic or a good bulimic. And so it's very sick because you, because people could find support through that supporting their eating disorder versus finding a support group or a therapist. It keeps you in it. It keeps you feeling like this is great. Like he's doing it too. She's doing it too. There's, there's health. Are they actually talking about like there are healthy ways to accomplish this? What do you mean by healthy? Well, like better way. I don't know. Like, are, are they really talking about like, hey, here's a great way to handle this. This isn't that. Do they know it's bad for them and they don't care? Or they or do some people try to say it's not really detrimental to you? Like, what's the, I guess, mm-hmm. what's the scope of the conversation? So it's more um, just about success. Whether that success is um, good for you or not, it doesn't matter. It gotcha. just, you know, this is how you lose weight. This is how you success- successfully purge. Um, this is how you exercise silently. And no, I understand. I just wanted to make sure I was clear. Uh, but okay, is what are the physical problems that come from purging? 
in my case, it was diabetes. <laughs> um, but it really throws your body out of whack. Um, it, you know, there's long-term effects. You could have tearing in your esophagus from the acid, bruising on your knuckles from purging, teeth issues. You know, they always say a dentist could tell who's a bulimic. Um, so the acid hits the teeth and then, and your teeth aren't prepared for stomach acid, not in that, not in that frequency. No. Is that, and just, you said knuckles. I don't, I'm not following that one. I'm sorry. Um, just from like, if you, (laughs) if you use your hands to purge, then, um, then your teeth would dig into your knuckles and cause scarring. Oh, so I'm reaching down my throat so frequently that I'm hurting my knuckles with my teeth. Yes, and that could also result in sores around the mouth, also from acid reflux. Just general stomach issues, digestion issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but do you and your doctors believe that... So I'm assuming everyone understands that if you end up having type 1 diabetes in your life, you've have some sort of genetic markers that predispose you. And the way I find myself thinking about it is that sometimes some sort of a health trauma can kind of speed the process up. And so maybe you were going to get diabetes when you were 10, but instead, you know, I don't know, you got the flu really badly when you were five and or a virus or blah, blah, or whatever. Do you really believe that, that the impact that bulimia had on your system threw you into type one? Don't ignore what kind of meter you're using. Just a blood glucose meter. It seems really simple, right? Like it doesn't matter, there's a ton of them. I'll just take the one the doctor gives me. Except there's differences in accuracy. There's differences in quality of testing. And you can achieve that quality with the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Go to contournext.com forward slash juice box to learn all about Arden's blood glucose meter. It's got amazing accuracy at an amazing price. It may even be less expensive if you bought it without your insurance. Isn't that crazy? That something could be cheaper without using your insurance than it is using it? Could be, may not be, maybe, not sure. Check it out, contournext.com forward slash juice box. That's how you'll find out. This meter is small, yet easy to handle has a super bright light, even for a guy like me whose vision is, you know, not great at night anymore. It's easy to read, has a great app if you'd like that's Bluetooth connected, and it works well. So well, in fact, that if you touch blood with a test strip and don't get enough, you can actually go back, get the rest without impacting the accuracy of the test. And that accuracy is right at the top of industry standards. I love the Contour Next One blood glucose meter and the numbers it gives back to us because we need those numbers to be something we can trust. Go poke around at contournext.com forward slash juice box. You may even be eligible for an absolutely free meter and they have an awesome test strip savings program. It's all there at the website. Check it out. After you've gotten yourself a brand new shiny meter that works so much better than the meter you have now, you should check out touchedbytype1.org. 
I love this type 1 diabetes organization. They do really incredible work for people living with type 1, and they do it in very interesting and fun ways. You can learn more at touchbytype1.org. And go find them on Facebook and Instagram. There's lots to see, lots to do, lots to be excited about. There are links to these sponsors as well as all of the sponsors of the Juice Box podcast right there in the show notes of your podcast player and at juiceboxpodcast.com. I appreciate it when you use the links. All right, we have not even begun to scratch the surface yet in this episode, so let's get back to it. Do you really believe that the impact that bulimia had on your system threw you into type one? Yeah. So that's why I stress that I started uh, my bulimia really developed a few months before my diagnosis Mm -hmm. um, because as I was going through that, you know, I had the classic type one symptoms. I was very thirsty. I was very lethargic and I thought it was a direct correlation of the bulimia, you know, because you're getting rid of fluid. So of course you're going to be thirsty. And, um, and there's, like you said, there's a genetic factor to diabetes, the marker, and then the environmental factor. And, um, and, you know, I started purging in about like early December of 2017 and then late January of 2018, I was diagnosed. So, um, it was very hard for me to come to terms with because everyone tells you, you know, it's an autoimmune disorder. It's okay. Like it wasn't your fault. And at that time, it really did feel like my fault because, um, it felt like I chose the eating disorder and I did this to myself. I see. Well, I mean, obviously people have told you this already, but you, you know, you could have just gotten a virus six months later and never had the eating disorder and had diabetes. So, um, I hope you found a way not to, to, you know, pressure yourself about that. Uh, Here's a therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that's, that's how that happens. Right. Do you listen? Have you heard the recent after dark episode about self-harm? Yes. Did you find a lot of, um, I don't know, like parallels between that and you? Yes. Can you tell me how? Yeah. Um, so a very common theme that I hear in the episodes is that um, lots of diabetics find it hard to take care of themselves until they're in a position of taking care of someone else. And, um, and I find that unfortunate, you know, because, um, you know, because your will to live will really only come from yourself. But that's such a complicated paradox because you simply don't have a will to live at that point. So how are you supposed to break out that cycle, you know? And when you don't feel like you want to live, why are you taking care of your diabetes? You know, it could almost feel like you're punishing yourself, which is, you know, where like self-harm comes in, you know, it feels it was, it's, it's another sense of taking control, you know, it's, it's the opposite of what you think control would be because, um, you you're saying I don't care what the diabetes is telling me to do I'm going to do what I want but by doing that you're just destroying yourself you're not taking control of your body do you have any um anxiety issues or depression 
Yeah. Also diagnosed around that time. That was huge in in everything because you know, I'm Dexcom, right? And you know, I would spend hours just staring at that graph, you know, trying to figure out the the correlations and trying to keep it a hundred percent sense stable. As much as you try, you can't you can't always do that. With the depression, um, you know, I would I wouldn't eat or I would eat too much, which also goes into the eating disorder, which also throws your blood sugar off whack and um and just not feeling the need to take care of myself. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um what signs should parents be looking for in eating disorders that maybe like you said it's a very hidden thing, but is there a way if you look back, is there a way that someone could have seen you? Yeah. Isolation is a huge piece. You know, I I've been always a very bubbly, extroverted kid and um I wouldn't come out of my room, um, which is really more signs of depression, but in specifically with the eating disorder, it would be the classic, I'm not hungry or picking at their food. It's very tough because with all, as much as there's those obvious signs, you know, like you see someone not eating, but um, having an eating disorder, you get very good at hiding it. So I would only eat in front of people. So to show them that I was okay. Maximizing your time around people by always having food with you making it making yes. it impossible for them to wonder like to think oh she's not eating ever because she's always eating when she's around me. Yeah, so I wouldn't say that the signs necessarily really correlate around food. I think would be more around mood because um that is where I thought it might have been a little more obvious for people to realize because I simply wasn't myself anymore. Mm-hmm. So that could be that could be a million things, but you know to approach someone and say you know, I see you, I see that something's going on. Talk to me about it. And you don't have to call them out and say, I think you have an eating disorder. I think you're struggling with depression or whatever uh, issue you think. But, um, but since we feel so isolated and embarrassed, it's so hard to reach out for help. Do you, do you have two parents? Are you in a or are your yeah, parents, both my, mm-hmm. they're, they're there. Parents both, are married, happily married. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And are there any, has there been any kind of um, backlash for them? Do they feel badly for not seeing it? Or what's that relationship like now? Right. So my parents have become my number one supporter. In the beginning, it wasn't like that. So back to when I was 15 and the with when I was lifeguarding, and the, the, the camp doctor encouraged me to talk to someone about it. And the first person I would reach out would be my parents. The first thing they told me was, you don't look thin enough to have an eating disorder. So, it, and I didn't, and that I didn't get help. You know, it was months after that um, of trying to, to get them to realize that something was wrong. And I wasn't even planning for myself. At that point, I had my friend um, who knew about it um, pushing me to go into therapy. So in the beginning, um, they were in denial. Me, because yeah, like I you was said- say, was it, was it just a misunderstanding of what an eating disorder was? Or were they trying to be, you know, denying what was happening? And, and by the way, how did that feel well, hold on. Answer those questions first, and then I'll, and then I'll do the next one. <laughs> yeah. 
a huge piece of it was denial for sure. Because again, I was this bubbly extrovert child and they look at me and they think my kid, where did I go wrong? How did, how could I have done this to her? And, um, obviously, you know, there's so many contributing factors. It wasn't them, you know, but, um, but, um, it hurts. I imagine to see your kid go through something like that. Yeah. So for sure it was denial. Okay. And then another, another, and then just another piece is also just not understanding the eating disorder at first, you know, it, it took, um, it took a, a good year for them to realize that I was actually struggling with something. Were you, and you were being supported during that year by friends? Um, not really. No, because, um, I had a friend who was definitely a, a huge, um, support at the time but there's only so much a friend could do and only so much i could allow myself to to allow my friend to do for me because this is a this is um more than more than us you know um and you know as much as i could feel accepted in my friendship i'm still killing myself so okay yeah when you tell your parents and they respond, you don't look thin enough to have an eating disorder. I'm being serious about this, but it's going to come off as flippant, but it's not. Were you inside thinking, this is amazing. I have been really working hard at being thin and they don't think I look thin. Like, did that actually hit you that way? It was horrible because um, a sick goal of someone with eating disorder is to look sick enough. And I didn't look sick enough. It seems like an eating disorder is a very external thing, um, but it's, it's not. It's not. It's internal. I and, just meant for, um, how you, for how you looked, it must have, I'm putting myself in your shoes for a second and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like to me, like you'd be like, this is what I, like, this is part of my goal here is to look thin. And you're telling me I don't look thin. Like, did that spiral you to hear that you didn't look the way you expected you did? Or did you, could you tell that it was just them not wanting their daughter to have bulimia. No, at the time it it pushed me just to try harder. That's what I was going to think. That's what I was thinking. You were probably like, "Oh, I'll show you." And uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, this is uh, uh, yeah, this is messed up. Um, it, 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 let's let's we're halfway through, so let's give people a little bit of uh, uh, context for where you are now. So, I mean, you've been in treatment for for a while. How, what are your goals? Like, you know, I, I don't know how to think about it. Like I think about when alcoholics talk about, you're always an alcoholic. Uh, you just haven't drank today. Like what's the, what's the goal for bulimia? So there will always be a piece of it, but it will never be like it once was. Um, the, the goal is to as cliche and as it sounds is to love yourself at any point of your life, because, you know, our bodies always change and, um, and you got to find love from internally. Mm-hmm. The goal surprisingly isn't to never purge again, because as, um, since this was my cooling mechanism for the longest time, it does come up time and time again, but doesn't mean that I'm in the DSM five still a bulimic, you know? Um, because I understand, um, my triggers and I understand, um, how to not fall into a spiral. So the goal for it is to not be high on 
I'm a bulimic, you know, mm-hmm. um, just to be another piece of my story. And do you have new coping mechanisms that you employ? Yeah. So, um, um, well, give me this. What's a, what's an example of something that would need you to employ a coping mechanism? What could happen in your day-to-day life that might, that would throw you off tilt? So, so it has a lot to do with my perception of others. In recovery, I have to learn about this certain partnership about on my end, I have to work on overcoming like my sensitivities and my triggers because people say things that they don't even realize that they're saying. And on their end, you know, the people around me should work on being more sensitive. You know, obviously there's objective things that you shouldn't tell someone. Um, like <laughs> for example, um, this is an example of something that you would never expect to trigger me, but it did when, um, when I was 17, I guess newly diagnosed, I was told that I had to have more carbs in my diet. So I, every morning I had a yogurt with a quarter cup of granola, which is a lot of granola for the amount of yogurt I was having. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I would always have it in the morning in school. And one day my friend, so I'm eating it and she was like, wow, is that granola yogurt? or yogurt and granola at implying that that was a lot of granola and you know every kind of everyone found it funny but i literally stood up went out and threw it out <laughs> because it was to me that was like oh so you're saying i'm eating too much and objectively that's that's just a comment it doesn't mean anything but for someone with an eating disorder that was destructive right. so um if that scenario happened now my thought process would be she doesn't mean anything by it you know let me just enjoy my yogurt um, so that's on my end. It's interesting because I guess it is all how you react to things. I know if someone said something like that to me, my reaction would be, hey, you're a nasty bitch, aren't you? Why don't you shut the fuck up? And and like I, I would never think like that her opinion meant anything to me. But it, it it's it's very meaningful to you. So I'm recording again. So I responded to you. We lost for a second and she's back. But I responded to her statement and now I realize um, that she didn't hear it, which is interesting. Yeah. Why am I unable? Now, what was the response? Well, hold on. I'm trying to, I'm having a, a technical issue on my end. I want to make sure I'm recording your voice now. Why is it doing this to me? Okay. I said that it's interesting that you cared what people think because I, I if somebody said to me i'd be like you're a horrible asshole. like why do shut the <laughs> like leave me alone i like a lot of granola with my yogurt what's it to you why don't you come over here and let me see if i can get this yogurt up your ass like like, you know, like i would be i would feel like just go away um and it, like but it really impacted you yeah does does that always the case so, um, now, um, these situations happen all the time where, where people say or do things that to my disordered brain feels like a direct attack while someone else would just be like off. But, um, so to me now, um, when someone makes me feel insecure, instead of rushing to that unhe- unhealthy coping mechanism or to that, um, unhealthy reaction, 
um, I would um, put in this piece of how am I going to react to this, where it's um, where I realize that it's not a direct attack. It just people big people you know people talk and um so sometimes most of the time now I'm successful sometimes I'm not and um no I just it's and maybe it's got to do with your age or or your situation I don't know and but I and I don't remember myself when I was 16 I guess as well as I think I do I just know that right now I can't imagine something somebody could think of me that I'd care about that way like don't get me wrong if people i respect or love have like constructive criticisms i'd like to hear them but i mean just like somebody at school or someone walking down the street i don't know like when i order soft serve ice cream i'm like can you put sprinkles on that to the point where you're not sure if i got ice cream with sprinkles or sprinkles with ice cream please thank you very much and i don't (laughs) care what the person at the place thinks i just like my ice cream crunchy you know what i mean so um (laughs) but 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 that's it's can't really (laughs) um so that's that's exactly what it is you know um that i had to find um like self-esteem um where the only opinions that mattered were the people that mattered um and now now i think i could say that the average person who would make a dumb comment really you'd be okay with does not affect me whatsoever but um and now when someone close to me does make a comment um it doesn't trigger me in the classic sense you know um it just it's something that i work through myself thinking about your diabetes and bulimia if there were where there there was an overlap right so you were diabetic while you were learning how to manage bulimia so you were purging while you were using insulin is that correct yes okay how do you do that um it was fun it was great um because it a you see the the physical effects after purging became so obvious because it drops your blood sugar um, very quickly soon afterwards, and that I would have to catch it. So it would be, let's say, with juice, but maybe it didn't work, or maybe when I get when my blood sugar goes low, I become starving, so then I would eat again, and then I would purge again, and it would just be a there would be nights of just a cycle of binging and purging okay. um, directly because of the blood sugar. Let's go step by step. Were you like pre-bolusing meals? Were you bolusing when you ate? Like how were you, where was that at? So it depends what the intention of the meal was because sometimes if, if it was supposed to be a normal meal, if it was supposed to be dinner, then yeah, there would be a pre-bolus or a normal amount of bolus. Um, and then it just, um, and then as I ate, um, it depends also what state I was in. If it was just a normal meal, then I would just add more insulin. But um, if it was, okay, this is becoming a purge, I would, um, um, at that point, I was on MDI. So, and if it was when I was ready on the insulin pump, then I would start like tempting the basil because I knew what was coming. So some meals, so some meals weren't going to end up with a purge. No. Okay. But it, and if it happened, you wouldn't necessarily know before it happened. You don't look at the food and you wouldn't look at the food and say, I'm going to eat this, then I'm going to 
throw it up. I, it might, it, it, your intention was I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it, and so at some point the I'm gonna call it a decision, but I guarantee that's not the right word for it. A decision's made that you're gonna purge. Now you're cognizant that I'm gonna do this, but I have all this insulin going, so I'll drink juice. You didn't think of juice the same way as you thought of food, or was the idea of keeping yourself alive because of the insulin more powerful than the feeling that you needed to purge? That's exactly what it was, um, where, you know, because also um, a low blood sugar is a very obvious in your face um, issue, you know, where I was able to face head on. But when doctors or people will tell me, you know, in years from now, you're going to tear your esophagus, you know, um, that gotcha. doesn't matter to me in the moment. You know, all I see now is is I have this food in my body that I have to get out and I'm going to have a low blood sugar. So I'm going to treat that. I'm not thinking about, yeah, but if you just didn't purge, you wouldn't have the cycle. Gotcha. But like, if you, if I put you on some train tracks and tied you down and said, Hey, you have enough time to either untie yourself or purge that cheeseburger. You just ate, you would untie yourself and get off the train tracks. Now. Yes. <laughs> now, now you're like, well, now I would. Um, okay. Uh, wow. Okay. What else do I need? What else do I need to understand about bulimia that's untreated and type one? Like what are people who are living through these two things now, what are they dealing with? So I think it all starts from how the person is educated Mm -hmm. because when taught incorrectly, teaching someone how to be a good diabetic is like teaching them how to have an eating disorder. If you don't have a healthy mindset around food, it becomes a chore. I remember when I first started listening to the podcast and hearing how you talk about with Arden about um, how she could eat whatever she wants and, you know, we'll just bolus correctly. It was mind blowing to me. I never thought that that was possible. I, I, um, directly correlated my worth to my blood sugar and to the food I was eating. And, um, and for someone struggling with it is to understand that obviously your self-esteem comes from doing action and taking action, but just to be able to give yourself that acceptance that, um, that you're still a good person, even if your blood sugar is a little bit haywire. Do you recognize that, well, let me start by saying, I recognize that what you're saying is true. Do you recognize that for people who don't have an eating disorder or anxiety or depression, that these thoughts very infrequently enter their mind? Like, do you know that that's not my life, for instance, that I don't derive self-worth from, like, you know, what you were just talking about? Or, or um, like, do you know that you you think differently? Yeah, so it, <laughs> it's funny. Um, I would, um, at so, at one point, no, because um, it felt like this is the normal thought process. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like it. Does it, it doesn't matter to me if if someone else is is thinking differently. I mean, um, oh no, not that it should. I'm happy. I, I what I was wondering was is that. 
like like there are let's maybe blow it up a little bit here like there are artistic minds and there are maybe more mathematical minds right and that you know a person who's maybe a tiny bit ocd who's really good at math goes for a ride on a country road with horses on the side of the road doesn't see the trees doesn't see the horses just sees the road in front of them while I'm driving along thinking like, it's a lovely landscape. And, you, you know, like, like, isn't it interesting how the cows seem to cross the water right there? And like, like, and the person, <laughs> and no, and other people don't see that. And it, it first struck me when, during the self-harm episode, when she was talking about these things that were just so true to her. And I realized like, I've never had that thought in my entire life. Like, I've never considered that once. It's never impacted me at all. And you're, I'm having the same thought talking to you. Like there are things that impact you really significantly. And I'm not saying that, you know, you should not let them impact you. I'm not talking like that. I'm saying that there's some way you're wired that I'm not wired and, you know, and vice versa. And let me give you an example of that. I am not a trim lean person. Okay. And I've never really been my entire life. And I don't care. Like, and so like I want to be healthy and I want to live forever. Um, but I don't think of myself visually. Like, I don't think, oh, I shouldn't do this or wear that, or people will think that I'm this or that. I don't know that. Like, I'm aware that people probably look at me and think. I wonder why Scott doesn't knock 20 pounds off, but I don't care. And I'm not, I'm not concerned with it. Like I don't Mm -hmm. tie who I am at all to how I look. And trust me, I probably need about 5% of that from you. Like if you could lend it to me, that would probably be good for me because it would be better for my health. Just as same. I'll take 5% from you too. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a good trade off. (laughs) If I could send some back to you, I think it would help too. Um, And the one thing I haven't asked you yet that I keep wondering to myself while we're talking, like, do I get through this without asking this? But I really want to add context to it, if you're okay with it. When you're 14 and this starts, were you overweight? No. Okay. Can you... I was was, um, not underweight, but um, towards the lower end of a normal weight. Okay. And so even now, how tall are you now? I'm five six. You're five six. Would you tell me what you weigh right now? I don't know. Um, but oh, that's part of it. You probably would, don't weigh yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. But uh-huh. um I would it, it's a pretty large bracket, but I would say between one forty and one sixty, maybe. Okay. And are you happy with do you even think about how you look now? Like, how do you handle that? Like, are you like, I'm, I look great like this or I'm comfortable like this. Do you think of it as health? Like, how do you think of your body now? So, um, now I acknowledge that this is not my ideal body type, but I, I, I'm in the process of not equating my worth to that mm-hmm. where I'm able to, I'm able to still get dressed and feel good about myself with still knowing that, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly where I want to be, but I still like myself and that's okay. You know? So it's not as debilitating as it once was, you know, there was a time where I really wouldn't go out. I wouldn't, I wasn't able to go to school because I couldn't bear people seeing my body. And, um, I'm so thankful it's not like that anymore, Yeah. but, um, 
that's that's exactly what um, a person with eating disorders isn't doesn't think like you know you um that you're able to acknowledge like you were saying like yeah i would like to lose a couple pounds but it's fine you know i'm still me right but someone with eating disorder equates it it's your personality you know (laughs) gotcha do you um can i ask you are you um in a relationship no okay have is that something you want um, well, everyone listening, you can hit me up, but not currently. <laughs> like, I don't know if I need a relationship, but um, <laughs> you could still, you know, maybe we could hook up for a second. I, 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 I'm not looking for you to be involved. I'm sorry, in my mom day- and dad, when you listen to this, but uh. <laughs> like, I'm not looking for somebody to be involved in my day to day decisions or anything like that. But <laughs> want to knock um, around a little bit, that'd be okay. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Not with mom and dad listening, but, uh, <laughs> um, so I, okay. So this also really deeply ties into eating disorder because when, um, when my friends were, you know, um, having relationships, um, I couldn't fear someone looking at me. So, um, and I couldn't, and I knew I wasn't capable of loving someone else until I loved myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now, um, I'm really working towards that. You know, like I said earlier, it's, uh, it's a, um, it's a partnership where I have to work on my own self-esteem and my partner will, um, have to be sensitive to that. And, I see myself on like an upwards trajectory where I could see myself, you know, being in a healthy relationship um, because I have enough self-esteem for it. Um, But it's not one of my priorities currently. Cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that you can see it happening. Is bulimia more male or female disorder or is there not? Is it? I'm I'm looking right now because I'm interested. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's see what. I what does it say? Do. What does Google say? Bulimia affects one to one and a half percent of females. And there's a ten to one ratio of females to males suffering. Yeah, because you know it's funny. I know you're younger, but we're talking about this, and you asked to be on, so I, I'm going to keep going with my line of thought here. It, it, I, what I'm picturing is is that like to be intimate with somebody, if your clothes came off, you would back then for certain not be able to handle them looking at you no matter what your body style was in that moment. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And what I was thinking when you said that was you should try being a boy because it really, nobody, (laughs) I don't really think about anything when that's going on. I'm like, Ooh, sex. And, uh, the rest of it sort of flies out the window. I wonder what it is that, um, it just occurred to me that, that maybe there was a, a weird delineation between this being male to female. Um, and I get that. Like, I mean, I mean, I don't get it from a female perspective, but I feel like I can understand at least, you know, academically what that must be like. Yeah. It's, just, it's the same thing in the other After Dark episode about sex and diabetes where um, about feeling insecure about an insulin pump or a Google's monitor. Um, and if, and just like how some people might feel like that is a flaw, um, I feel like my body is the flaw. So, mm. Yeah. Okay, but at, at this point today, is it fair to say you don't feel like that, or you don't feel like that sometimes, or or where are you at right now? Um, I feel better about it. Um, and it's 
I acknowledge that's not what it once was. Um, and I acknowledge that I could feel good in the body type that I'm currently in now, but it's still hard. It's still not, um, you know, cause like currently the stage of recovery that I'm in, I'm medically okay, but I'm still working through the, the mindset of it. Mm-hmm. And that, that will take a little bit more time. Are you medicated at all for you? I, I started to ask about depression and anxiety earlier. We didn't really go completely yeah. into it. Are you taking any medications? Yeah, I'm currently on Prozac. Prozac. And is that helpful? Yeah, so it just, um, it, medication doesn't work unless you have the motivation to work on yourself. All it does, at least the type of medication that I'm on, and SSRI just helps, um, give me more energy to deal with my emotions, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get rid of the emotions. So, um, so it's not, it's not, um, it's not supposed to be long-term. I mean, I've been on it for, for, uh, I started the the journey of medications around two years ago mm-hmm. and I see where I'm, where I am right now. I'm like very comfortable being on the medication. I, I, I don't, I don't mind it. I do see myself in the future, um, eventually weighing myself off of it. Have you gone through all of them? Have you tried like Lexapro, Citalopram? Nah, I only, I only, I tried Zoloft. (laughs) (laughs) So your t-shirt just says, I'm a Prozac kind of girl. Yeah, pretty much. Listen, the idea is to find one that works, right? So, um, and I really don't mean to push you, but was there a trauma back then that started all this off? Like, can you put your thumb on what happened or no? Or do you not want to tell me either? Any answer is fine. So this was also a really huge thing for me was that um, most people have an, a major external trauma that affects their internal. For me, it was really, it was all internal. It was, it was the way that I perceived the world and how, um, and how I reacted to it, like growing up, you know, I had fantastic family and fantastic parents, but, um, you know, no person is perfect. And, um, and, and from certain actions that may have not been perceived by everyone else as, as, as wrong to me, made me feel like I didn't belong and I wasn't loved. So my mind definitely equated that to my weight. I got you. And this, it was the same with my social life, where anytime I would have a, a um, an issue, you know, I always, again, I was always an extroverted kid. I, I, I had friends, but but when I lost a friend, it felt like it was it was directly correlated to my body. So the truth is, there wasn't a major trauma, which is I hope some people would find comfort in that because. I have a hard time. It's almost, it's 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 a little bit ridiculous, but I'm almost embarrassed to admit that because, thank God, I don't have a trauma. But um, it kind of feels like, why did he have an eating disorder then? Does the um, excuse me for a second. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Does the onset of the bulimia in, in the 14 did it at all correlate with when you began to get your period? Is that- uh no, no, I was. I got my period much later. Um, I, I was 
late 15. Okay. Just there's, yeah. there's some um, disorders that, that happen sort of when all of the, uh, the hormones come in. And yeah, I, that makes I, sense. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was, uh, if, if that was, you know, no, I wasn't going to, I wasn't looking for like, oh, on the day I got my period, I suddenly felt <laughs> like, I wasn't, I didn't mean like that. I just meant like, was it close? But it sounds like it wasn't. Okay. Um, this is more important than normal. Is there anything we didn't talk about then that we should have? Because I really did not know how to ask questions while you were talking. I feel like I did okay, but I, I, I also feel like it's possible. No, you did a great job. And I hope I uh, did too. Um, what was your goal guess, coming on? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like yeah. why I wanted to come on. I always heard of diabulimia, you know, of like restricting insulin to lose weight, but I never heard of someone like me that, um, struggled with the eating disorder prior to the diagnosis that led to it feeling like everything was my fault, both the eating disorder and both the, um, diabetes. And, um, and I wanted someone maybe out there who might feel the same way to realize that it's okay and it's and that's not true and um and you know everyone has their own story so yeah. i want well, to share mine well i think that well thank you first of all that's excellent i think that there are obviously a number of things that can go on in a person's life uh, that sometimes are easier to ignore than to address. Um, it feels easier. The truth is, is that doing something's no harder than not doing it. It's actually probably easier to do it than it is to not do it. I don't know how convoluted I just made that sound, but you're, you're <laughs> doing something constantly anyway, right? You're always doing something, do the thing that'll help you, right? You know, so if you're feeling the way Leah's described, the first step is, what do you think? Is it general practitioner? Just, Hey, I feel depressed. I feel anxious. I'm, I have an eating. I think I might have an eating disorder. Like, is it just telling somebody? Is that the first step? I think the first step is to have some sort of support. Um, I know there's so many horror stories of people who ask medical professionals for help. And they're told the same thing that I was told by my parents that I, was, I wasn't sick enough. Um, but the reason why that even though that did hugely impact my eating disorder, um, it didn't send me into a spiral because, you know, I had a good friend group, you know, um, and I had a friend I could talk to. Um, so the, whether if, if someone feels like they're, they're able to face that on their own, you know, reaching out to a medical professional, um, that of course would be the first choice, but, um, and obviously this is very hard for someone dealing with this because a it's isolating B you're very insecure. So you might not feel like you have a support group, but the reality is you probably do. And there are people who love you, whether it's your family or your friends. So to know that going into whatever treatment you're going into, I think makes all the difference. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, what do you think the future like short term is for you. Are you in college? Uh, yes. Well, nobody's in college right now, but <laughs> are you in your Just bedroom kidding. getting an education and paying a lot of money for it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm actually, 
I want to go into nursing, specifically endocrinology, <laughs> um, because it feels like a field that I can make a difference and a field that I relate to. Um, yeah, because I want to do the education properly, you know, because mm-hmm. like I said earlier, you don't want to treat, um, you, want, you don't want to tell a diabetic how to have eating disorder. So you're, so you're in college now, your, your goal is to be a nurse and, and hopefully help people with different endocrine issues, probably specifically type one. That's lovely. Um, what about your health? Like, how do you like, like, I'll give you like, here's an example of my question. I started eating on a, um, uh, what do they call the intermittent fasting kind of schedule recently, Mm -hmm. which has been really helpful for me. So during the, uh, pandemic, I've lost 11 pounds uh, on purpose. Congrats. Uh, yeah, you're probably the, it's weird probably that I'm telling you. Sorry. Uh, but, but by the way. Well, for you, not, it's great. Is this not the most fun conversation about bulimia probably that's ever been recorded? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> seriously. But but anyway, I just went to an intermittent fasting thing. Uh, I don't eat before noon and I don't eat after eight. And in, other than that, I'm just eating I mean, I don't want to say like whatever I want, like I'm, I'm conscious to, like, uh, you know, not eating like a gallon of ice cream or something like that, but I'm eating pretty normally in that, in that other space. Um, I first thought of doing it because of a, a type two I spoke to who told me how well they were managing their type two diabetes with intermittent fasting, which was really exciting. They were able to cut back on their medications and things like that. And right. uh, the person told me they had lost weight. I thought, oh, you know, I'd like to lose weight. Let me try that. And so what the only thing I tell myself in the beginning was I just made it very specific, not before noon, not after eight. And to the point where if I got hungry at like 7.55, I was like, well, you've got five minutes to eat something. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I just, that's what I stayed to. <laughs> and it's, it's, it gave me like some rules that are work, helping me. And I'm wondering what the rules are you have or is it not about that is like what have you learned in therapy is it about just don't restrict yourself or is it about healthy rules or how do you manage going forward now from here and where where is that you're going exactly yeah so that's a great question um shout out to my therapist she's the best um want to be here without her literally and um what i learned with her was um that it's a two-piece thing because there is because even though this is an internal disorder all the manifestations are external so there is um physical rules that that i do have for myself you know like i try to practice intuitive eating and and i do what makes me feel comfortable and and that also goes in hand with diabetes because there you know i have to be cognizant cognizant of um of the amount of food I'm eating, you know, mm. which is not, you know, <laughs> you don't tell someone who, if, if someone who's in, in treatment, uh, inpatient, you know, they're not allowed to weigh their food. And I was doing that for the longest time when I was carb counting. So, so now, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you're not allowed, you're, so, so you're not allowed to weigh your food because of your treatment, but that's how you were managing your carb counting. Yes. So it, it, it was a, that's fun duality. But so yes, there is that physical piece, but it's mostly, it's mostly internal where, um, 
where I um, had, like, hearing you talk about the way that, that, you know, you started this intermittent fasting, it was very obvious that you didn't correlate your self-worth to your body. And that is my goal now, um, where back to what I was saying before, how I'm able to look myself and, um, and like where I'm at, but still acknowledge that I still want to lose the weight. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. So I kind of lost my train of thought. No, 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 no. It's, it's a long process. And by not, so you're, you're just taking small steps in the right direction, not looking for giant leaps, just continue to do what's best for you. And your physical self should come along as that goes, which is really what I found with this is that I just did what I was supposed to do. And um, without being focused on the, the physical stuff, the, you know, the outwardly physical stuff that just kind of came along for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just do the right things and the right things happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. That, that I, I, you know, I have to be honest with you. I think that's how I live in general. I don't think that's a bad way to conduct yourself. You know, it, it's not always about mine, 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 get more for me as much as it is, you know, if I do the right thing, sometimes I'm going to benefit from that. And sometimes I won't, but at least I'm always putting the right thing out. And, uh, and yeah. I think that ends up, generally speaking, paying you back. So I think it's a great idea. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations you. on, um, you know, persevering through telling your parents and them being like, come on, <laughs> and, you know, and, and that couldn't have been easy and to stick with it. And now you've got, you know, everybody's supporting you well and you're, and you're, you're doing the right things. It, it's, you know, it's really to be applauded. Just, just doing the right things is, uh, is not always easy. Thank you. And I just wanted to put just a final dis- disclaimer out there for anyone listening that's struggling with this or something similar, that it's so easy to start comparing yourself, but to realize that every experience is different. Like I know that I listed a lot of examples, but um, no one should feel that they're quote unquote not doing it right or doing it wrong based on my own experience that ev- with any sort of disorder or struggle, you know, everyone has their own experience. So um Hope no one was triggered. <laughs> so the treatment, the treatment itself is is going to be wildly different depending on you, depending on the person. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's it's interesting. Um, you know, we're done, but I'm going to keep talking for a second. Uh, the idea of being triggered is, um, in my mind, and is a more it's a newer idea. Like the idea that I might say something or see something or do something or hear something that puts me down a path that if just other people would have known not to say, um, you know, what, what's the, my, my, my question to you is there's a question around that idea of being triggered is do you hold people accountable for that? Or is that on you? Like, do you know what I mean? Like if I'm an idiot, and I look at a person and I'm like, oh, wow, you shouldn't be wearing that shirt. Obviously, I'm an ass if I say that. But is it like, can you really give me that kind of power? Like to, do you know what I mean? Like, it's a weird. Yeah, no, 100%. No, no, no. Um, It's, that's, that's exactly it. Where um, it doesn't matter what anyone tells me. It matters how I react to it. You know, obviously, it would be nice if people 
people treat each other well and don't say um, dumb things. Right. But um, if they do, it doesn't. It, it it's irrelevant what they said. It's really how I reacted. Like like how I was saying earlier, um, people said the most non triggering things that shouldn't be triggered but were it didn't matter what they said it was up to me of how i reacted to it so you were like a live nerve too you were just anything could have made you feel yeah worse yeah because no one should go go around their life uh about their life walking on eggshells you know i don't want that was a huge thing with me and my relationships in my life where um where you know you want people to treat you normal but they're not gonna treat you normal if every time they say something you burst out crying so um so yeah it's really it's up to you and how you respond okay yeah i just i didn't understand because i'm old and like you know (laughs) i grew up in a time where if somebody said something and you let it impact you that was your fault and at the same time, it is not lost on me that people who, you know, profess to like, I speak the truth. I'm like, yeah, no one's looking for your truth. Just shut up. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's th- that idea of, yeah. like, we all know somebody who runs around just being to everybody. And, and then they like, well, I'm just telling you how it is. I'm like, no, it's, you know, you're just an angry old, you know, well, I guess I'm thinking of one person in, in particular. I have an example <laughs> in my head. But, um, but, you know that person who believes themselves to be a truth teller really isn't. They're just, they're hurting and they're trying to hurt other people. It's fairly obvious. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unless you're a comedian, by the way, if you're a professional comedian, you're making your money that way, then okay. Making fun is the way to go. Uh, but <laughs> you know, if it's just you with four people at a family function, maybe keep it to yourself. If you don't like my shoes, yeah. I guess is what I'm you're not getting paid to be an ass. Yeah, right. If you are, then right on. And then I'm paying to see it. Like then, then it's then all's fair, you know. Yeah. Okay. This was good. Yeah, like I feel yeah. dizzy from this, but it was good. <laughs> <laughs> People say I have that effect on them. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, it's not you. It's just that you know. It, what started out as like a podcast where I'm just like, let me just tell people how we manage my daughter. And then suddenly, you know, one day somebody was like, can you like touch on this topic? And then I started thinking about like, well, maybe I could expand here. Maybe this isn't servicing this person. You know, I've had a lot of conversations and learned about a lot of things that I didn't expect to know about. And it's always been really helpful to me. And it's nice to hear, you know, how you see the world um, and mm-hmm. how the world impacts you. And I think it's great for other people to hear too. I just didn't expect that it was going to come from my, my diabetes podcast, uh, of all things. I, I I'm starting to feel like the podcast is, you know, has grown somehow in scope. Um, and so I appreciate you. It has. Well, yeah. You. So yeah. And thank you for putting it out. I mean, no, game changer. <laughs> that's not what I was doing, but I appreciate that. So are you <laughs> using the podcast? Like, like, have you like been through the pro tips? Like, does it help you day to day with your diabetes? Yeah. So, um, when I began really managing my diabetes, you know, not just uh, trying to stay alive, but actually trying to, you know, um, deal with it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how I stumbled upon the podcast, but um, I think the first episode that I listened to attracted me because of the word title. So. I wonder what my title is going to be. <laughs> well, the title um, attracted. What was the title? Tell me. Do you remember? It was the weed episode, I think. Oh, I see. Are you a weed smoker? <laughs> no. Again, mom and dad is listening. <laughs> okay, so um, hold on. Let's talk around this for a half a second, and then we'll get back to your thought. Maybe we're not done. You like the idea of weed, or 
you smoke and you don't want your parents to know, or I guess there's no way to answer that, but like, but the title got you. So it just, it would just, it sounded interesting. I don't know. I think, I mean, I remember distinctly that being the episode that made me continue listening to the podcast. I'm not sure if it was the first episode that I listened to, Mm -hmm. Um, but um, it just sounded different, you know, Um, no one really ever spoke about that. So um, mom and dad, I'm sober good i'm fine <laughs> your parents right um, now are listening to this and thinking god i hope she never finds our weed <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i didn't mean to put that yeah. in your head i'm sure your parents aren't always there's <laughs> 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 like a long pause you're like are my parents smoking i'm not aware of it <laughs> no, I'm, te- I'm teasing i'm sure they're not they uh, do go on a they do go on a lot of walks together. So oh, now I know <laughs> walks. I got you. They're probably just in the basement. Just walk downstairs. And you say they're going out. They probably do like a a steppy step thing at the back door and close the door and then just slide right downstairs. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, but I was just remembering what the original question was. <laughs> um, how? Yeah. So once I started listening to the podcast, I I um, just to uh, get to boost your ego it completely changed my management the first at first when i started listening i was listening for like i guess the other people are hearing the stories and every time i would hear um you say something radical i would just think that's so stupid <laughs> like 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 that's ridiculous who does he, he is he, uh you know he's not living with this but once you put you know your ego aside and actually listen to what you're saying i completely changed my management and um and you know, the, it was probably about a, a year-ish ago that I started listening to the podcast, and I really feel like I'm a different person now, both in recovery, both as a diabetic, and just as a person as a whole. So, Leah, were you hate listening to me at first? Like, Can I plead the fifth? You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I plead. No, I, no, please. You'd be like the thousandth person to say yes to that. So I. Was, yeah. I was <laughs> Um, there were things that I, uh, that I like, like I wasn't, I wasn't continuing to listen just to hate on it, but there were lots of times that I, I would just get mad and, um, but yeah. Well, no, to be serious, I, 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 to be serious and, and I've heard it now from enough people to put context around it and I understand it's, it's first of all, you're listening to a person who doesn't have diabetes tell you how to manage insulin, which has got to be strange. Like I've, I've never really fully immersed myself in that thought, but it's just got to be weird. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it can be angering. And especially when I start talking about like, you don't understand, just do this and it'll work. And you're just like, no, I've been doing this for years and it doesn't work. And you're an ass. Please stop talking. And, you know, but there's gotta be a little part of you that's like, well, what if it does work? Like, I really would like mm-hmm. to have that experience, you know? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was a, it was an immaturity of just putting that past me, you know, just because you're not someone who has, who understands it i mean you're giving good advice so nah. <laughs> first of all, take it leah nothing you hear on the juice box podcast should be considered advice medical or otherwise please always consult a physician before making any changes to your health care plan or becoming bold with insulin because i don't give advice <laughs> here i'm just telling people what i do and they can do whatever they want i hear what sure, you're saying yeah. though and i appreciate that um don't get all serious on me i was half kidding there um it, <laughs> but but no i i really i'm glad for you because especially at your age you know, you are very, it's interesting. You are very mature. I don't know if you like know that about yourself or not. Um, but thank you. You know, it's, it's obvious, like talking to you, like you're, you're 
thought process is of um, of an age that's, I, I would say, greater than 19. And to be able at 19 to hear stuff that doesn't sound like what you're doing, that makes you feel like, uh, you know, he doesn't know, like, shut up, like that kind of feeling. And to 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 be thoughtful enough to listen anyway, it, that's really great. Like, you're doing a lot of good things for yourself. So good for you. Congratulations. You. You're welcome. Now, I'm, it's really, uh, it's yeah. impressive. It really is. Yeah. All right, Leah, <laughs> what do you think the rest of your day is going to look like? Because I'm going to do laundry and then I'm going to put a podcast episode up. That sounds thrilling. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to cook dinner then <laughs> afterwards too. But your parents are off getting loaded somewhere. So they're having a great time. <laughs> yeah. Their day's definitely better than mine. So <laughs> no, my day's been pretty good so far. So <laughs> now they're on your phone right now looking for dating apps, trying to <laughs> make sure you're not on like, you know, Tinder or something like that. Um, <laughs> but, but seriously, you find me. <laughs> wait, do you, is there anything you're trying to say to the people listening right now? <laughs> Want to give a zip code or anything like that? I don't know how that app works, but uh, anyway, yeah. Well, out of respect to your parents, the uh, I don't know what this episode is going to be called, but uh, it won't be knocking around Leah just for certain. 100%. <laughs> They'll appreciate that. No, of course. Let me say thank you again and goodbye. Hey, a huge thanks to Leah for coming on the show and sharing so honestly and and being so brave. Thanks also to the Contour Next One blood glucose meter and Touched by Type 1 for sponsoring this episode. You can go to touchedbytype1.org or contournextone.com forward slash juicebox to learn more. There are also links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com to these and all of the sponsors. Hey, if you're listening online, could you consider getting that podcast app for me and subscribing? That would be helpful. I would like that. Plus, it's super simple to listen that way and absolutely free. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did and are looking for more of the After Dark series, you're looking for episode 274 about drinking, 283 about weed, 305 about trauma and addiction, 319 sex with type 1 diabetes from a female perspective, episode 336 about depression and self-harm, 365 is sex with type 1 diabetes from a male perspective, on episode 372 divorce and co-parenting, episode 384 bipolar disorder. If you think you'd be a good person to be on a future After Dark episode, send me a note at scott at juiceboxpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, thanks for the great ratings and reviews that I've gotten recently on Apple Podcasts. It's great to see you guys all coming into the private Facebook group. That's been really exciting. There's a link in the show notes to that. I think we're up to about 6,500 people in there now. Great conversations. And um, what else? I think that's it. I really appreciate you listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode.